Good Sunday morning, everybody. How are you doing today? I hope all is going well with you and that you are ready to dive into the Word of God this morning. We're going to continue our study of the 50 commands of Christ. And why is it important that we study these 50 commands of Christ? Because He's our Lord. He's our Savior. We need to know what He says and His great commission. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus tells us, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given unto me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all I've commanded you, and I am with you always to the end of the age. That's our Lord's great commission to each and every one of us who are followers of Jesus. And that second part, he tells us to teach others to obey all he has commanded us. So we need to know what he commands us, right? So we can obey them. And so we can also teach them to others. So it's part of discipleship. It's part of growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's part of fulfilling the great commission of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When I teach this at Love and Action as part of our discipleship program, we always get index cards and we write these commands and key verses down so we're able to go back and look at them during the week between classes. And it's a good thing to do. So if you're able to do that, I encourage you to do that and take some notes. And if you've missed uh, any of the teaching so far on the 50 Commands of Christ, you can go to the Love and Action podcast and listen to previous Sunday mornings with Love and Action there. And you can find the Love and Action podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can find the Love and Action podcast. So I encourage you to do that. But I thank you for joining me this morning. I'm so happy you're listening. And I pray that this teaching will just really help you grow in Christ. And if you're not a believer in Jesus, I pray that it'll just show you how awesome our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is and that you will give your life to him. Before we get into the word of God this morning, let's go to our Father in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day. God, what a blessing it is to have woken up today and have breath in our lungs to breathe and to live this day. God, let us live it for you. Let us bring glory to you, glory to your name. And Father, I just pray for each and every person listening this morning. God, that you would just be with them right where they're at, and I know you are. And God, each and every need, I just want to lift up to you and ask you to just continue to provide, continue to bless, continue to heal, strengthen, deliver, save. God, just continue to do what only you can do in each and every one of our lives. I pray for those who have not given their lives to you that this morning will be their day that they turn to you, Jesus, and give their lives to you. Father, I just thank you for all that you're doing. I thank you for loving us. Thank you for your son, Jesus. And now as we open your word, we just want to thank you for your word, that you give us your word, Father God, and you speak to us through your word. It's just so awesome. You are so awesome. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to teach us. Guide us, lead us into all truths as we read your word today, Father. And may we be doers of your word and not hearers only. And it's in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. We are starting with command number 12 this morning. And number 12 is be perfect. No pressure there, right? Be perfect. (laughs) Well, it's not intended to, to be pressure. Let's see what Jesus is talking about here when he tells us to be perfect. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus says, You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
So let's start out with a few questions. Who set the example for us? Well, that was Jesus, right? Next question, is it possible for us to carry out this command? Well, we're going to talk more about that. The third question is, does that mean we shouldn't try? So if we say, no, we can't carry out this command, then the next question would be, well, should we even try? Well, the answer is yes, we need to. Jesus, he set up the ultimate example, the ultimate ideal of perfection, of perfect love, which, of course, is not something we can attain in this earthly life. Nevertheless, it is God's high standard for us, and he expects us to strive in that direction. Now, I know there's some people who will argue with me and say that we can be perfect. I just don't believe we can be perfect. Jesus was the only perfect person to live on this earth. To be perfect means we never, ever mess up, not even in our thoughts. That's just something that, as a human, we can't attain. However, with that being said, we must strive for perfection. We must strive to be like Jesus, and that's what God is expecting for us. Throughout the the last few verses leading up to this, Jesus has essentially asked for perfection. What more can be done about adultery if lust has been driven from our hearts? And that's back in Matthew 5, verse 29. Who else is left to love after one has loved his enemy? Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. We, We studied these last week. What acts of perfection are we to strive for? Well, there are several. First, it's our character. We need to strive for perfection in our character, meaning our temperament, honor, integrity, moral fiber, fortitude, reliability, discipline, perseverance, generosity, humility, loyalty, and patience. That's our character. We need to strive for perfection in our character. Secondly, in our holiness. We are to separate ourselves from worldly values. We are to be devoted to God's values rather than our own. That's how we can work on our holiness. Let's be separated from the world. We're in the world, and we live in this world, and we got to minister to people in this world, but we don't have to have this world's values. We need to separate ourselves from that and be in God's word and be holy, even as our our Lord is holy. Thirdly, in maturity. We can't achieve Christ-like character and holiness all at once. We must grow in maturity and in wholeness. Just as we expect different behavior when thinking about a baby, child, teenager, and adult. So God expects different behavior from us. When you see an adult, you don't expect that adult to act like a child, right? Now, we know there are adults that do act like children, <laughs> but that's not what we expect. We expect a child to act like a child, a teenager to act like a teenager, and an adult to act like an adult. Now, depending on our stage of spiritual development, that's how we should be acting. Are we brand new in this walk with Jesus? Or have we been walking with them for a few years? Or have we grown mature in our faith? And so, depending on that spiritual level is is where our character, our holiness is going to be. It counts on our maturity. Fourthly, it's in our love. We should seek to love others as completely as God loves us. The Jewish annotated New Testament says that to be perfect applies only to maturity or wisdom or could possibly indicate completeness with God, though not necessarily in a moral sense. Likewise, the Oxford Bible Commentary says that to be perfect is not a call to sinlessness, but is actually a call to completeness. In other words, they 
let you off the hook a little bit, don't they? (laughs) On the other hand, the Life Application Study Bible says that we can be perfect if our behavior is appropriate for our maturity level. Perfect, yet with much room to grow. Our tendency to sin must never deter us from striving to be more like Christ. We must strive to be like Christ. He commands us, he invites us to follow him. And when we follow somebody, we want to be like that person. So we want to follow Jesus. We want to be like him. He's our Lord. He's our Messiah. He's our Savior. He's our King. He's our God. And he calls all his disciples to excel, to rise above mediocrity, and to mature in every area, becoming more like him. Those who strive to become perfect will one day be perfect, even as Christ is perfect. And let's read about that in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. One day, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we are going to see Jesus face to face. And the Word of God says we're going to be like him. So we're going to see perfection that day. We're going to see Jesus, therefore we're going to see perfection. I like what the MacArthur Bible Commentary says about this command to be perfect. It says, Christ set an unattainable standard, which sums up what the law itself demands, referencing uh, James chapter 2, verse 10. And it goes on to state, though this standard is impossible to meet, God cannot lower it without compromising his own perfection. He who is perfect could not set an imperfect standard of righteousness. The marvelous truth of the gospel is that Christ has met this standard on our behalf. Jesus was treated as a sinner, though he was perfect, to purchase our forgiveness, everlasting life, righteousness, and perfection. We are treated as if we lived a perfect life like Jesus did. He paid it all for us. I tell you what a marvelous, amazing Savior and Lord we serve. He did everything for us. And so while he was treated like a sinner, though he had never sinned, he did it for us. And we're treated like we didn't sin, which we all have. And even the Word of God tells us we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But when we receive Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we inherit eternal life and we inherit his righteousness and his perfection. So praise God. He is just, he's beyond awesome. He's beyond incredible. Jesus is just amazing. <laughs> I, there's not a word in the, in the English language or in any language to properly describe how awesome Jesus is, but I praise him and I love him. So number 12, be perfect. And don't let that be intimidating again from what we just read. Just strive, strive to be like Jesus. Number 13, practice secret disciplines such as giving, praying, and fasting. Our key verse there is Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. And let's read that. We're going to read all 18 verses because I think it's important that we hear his word and understand what he's saying. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 6 of Matthew. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, 
You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It's a lot of scripture there, but let's break it down a little. What does it mean to not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, as Jesus said in verse 3? This is a way of teaching or emphasizing that you should not call attention to your giving. Our motives must be pure. We can't give for people to see us give. That's not what it's all about. It's about giving because God has led us to, and God has blessed us to be able to give, and give for his glory, and let him get all the glory because it's his anyway. So give, give all the glory to him. We don't need to be giving to a church or to a charity or doing something for someone solely so it can benefit us in return. That, that's not what giving is about. You should give for the pleasure of giving. God loves a cheerful giver, he tells us in his word. And as a response to God's love, we give. We don't give it for self-glorification. There are many charities, even Christian ones, that will give donors gifts in return for their contribution. So it's like you give and you get something back. You know, maybe things like as simple as T-shirts or hats or calendars, etc. Uh, some charities spend 40 cents or more for each dollar donated to just to give gifts back to people. And so we got to ask ourselves, how does this mesh with Jesus' command? And that's one thing at Love and Action we, we don't do. We are 501c3 ministries, means people are going to get a tax write-off if they give. But that shouldn't be why we give to nonprofits either, just to get a tax write-off. I mean, it's nice. It's a good thing. Glad the government does it. But if that's our driving incentive, then it, it would be best not to give at all. We, we want to give because it's love in our hearts that we have for God and have for, for his work, what he's doing. That's why we give. We don't need to give for recognition. Uh, we want to see ourselves in a newspaper giving a gift to an organization or on TV doing that. I mean, if that happens, it's okay. But that shouldn't be why we are giving to charities. We need to give, again, out of the love of God that's in our hearts and wanting to carry on the mission of God through these other ministries, through a church. So that's why we give. Jesus is saying here that we need to make sure our motives are not selfish. He's telling us we should do our good deeds quietly and our giving in secret, not to get rewards ourselves. 
Jesus says we should check our motives in four areas. One, generosity. Two, prayer. Three, forgiving others. And four, fasting. There are four elements of prayer that we read when we read the Lord's Prayer there in Matthew chapter 6. If you're taking notes, we're going to do an acronym. And the acronym is ACTS, A-C-T-S. So write it vertically on your paper, A-C-T-S. A stands for acclamation. We, we are in awe, we praise, we honor God's holy name. C is for confession. We admit we're a sinner. We ask for forgiveness. T stands for thanksgiving, for all the blessings God has given us and for answering prayer. S is for supplication, asking God passionately for something like healing or a job, wisdom, anything we're asking God passionately for. Then Jesus moves on to to talk about fasting. Now, is fasting, is it realistic to fast today? And why? Well, of course it is. Of course it's realistic to fast today. And should we do it in secret? Well, many groups will have fast where people will fast for some period of time and then get together and have a big meal to end the fast. Uh, Some churches may even do that. Examples of fast, there's the 30-hour famine or the source fast challenge or give it up. Fasting to fight world hunger. There's all kind of different group fasts that people do. And all that's okay. It's good to fast. And if, if you do that as a church, that's a wonderful thing. But Jesus is focusing here on fasting in order to spend time in prayer. You see, fasting, it teaches us self-discipline. It reminds us that we can live with a lot less. And it helps us appreciate God's gifts. When we fast, it's not just to skip a meal. It's not just to work through a meal. It's to take that time we would have taken to eat and pray. Use that time to pray and seek God's face. Read his word, but definitely to pray. And Jesus here, he was emphasizing fasting for these right reasons and not for a selfish desire for praise or to raise money for some cause. Again, if you fast to raise money for some cause, you know, that's okay. That's good. But what Jesus is talking about here is growing closer to God. So we fast When we skip those meals, we're in prayer, we're in his word, and we're getting closer and closer to our Heavenly Father. Number 14, lay up treasures in heaven. Our key verses is Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Powerful, powerful command here is to lay up treasures in heaven. How can we determine where our treasure is and thus where our hearts are? Perhaps we must first ask, how exactly do you store up treasures in heaven? That's a great starting point right there. The NIV Study Bible says, anything done in this life that has eternal value will be rewarded. But that still kind of seems unclear and difficult to understand, doesn't it? So especially if you're not a follower of Christ or you, you haven't read his word much. Well, what Jesus is certainly talking about is more than money. Although giving money to the church or to Christian ministries like Love and Action, that's a good first step. And especially if it's followed by other acts of obedience to God. And that's where it all comes into line at. It's when we're being obedient 
to God. In Deuteronomy, God tells us to walk in my ways, obey my commands. And here Jesus is going one step further and saying, if you do that, you will be rewarded. So if we walk in God's ways and obey his commands, Jesus says we will be rewarded. So we need to ask ourselves, are there any idols that distract us from storing our treasure in heaven? An idol doesn't have to be a carved out wooden or stone figure as we read about in the Bible. And there are such idols that people have, but we're talking about anything that distracts. What's an idol in your life that keeps you from laying up treasures in heaven? Maybe it's having a spending problem, a shopping problem, and then you don't have any money to give to do God's work. Or an idol can be entertainment, sports, politics. It can be yourself. (laughs) It can be family, whatever distracts. Nothing should come before God. God has to be first in our lives, and we can't have idols. He tells us throughout the word not to have idols. We need to worship him and him alone. Or we can put it another way. What hinders or stops you from walking in the ways of the Lord and obeying his commands? So just think about that. What is hindering your walk with Jesus Christ? What is hindering you from being obedient to his word? Let's look at 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and this really brings understanding as to what our motives should be. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commands. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commands, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So we see here that we know we love God when we obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. Let me tell you from personal experience, our Lord's commands are not burdensome. Now you may say, well, Ken, you're a preacher, you're going to say that. I haven't always been a preacher, okay? I spent 22 years as a journalist, but yet I still followed the Lord. So you don't have to be a preacher or an evangelist to follow Jesus. We all can give our lives to Jesus. We can all follow Jesus, and his commands are not burdensome. The thing about his commands are they're for our betterment. They're for our protection even, and they're to bring him glory. And so his commands as we walk this life with him, we don't look at the commands going, oh man, I got to do this. I have to do this. No, I get to do this. I get to lay up treasure in heaven. I get to pray and to give and to fast. I get to be perfect or strive to be perfect. And his commands just become woven into the fabric of our lives. The longer we walk with him, we don't necessarily think, okay, am I following his command to repent? Am I following his command to pray? It's like it comes natural to us after we walk with him for a while. It's a process. It's just like growing up when we were born. We were a little helpless baby. We we could do nothing on our own, totally helpless. Well, when we come to Christ, we are a babe in Christ, so we have to grow from there. 
as we grow, we learn more and more about him. We learn more and more about his word and his commands, like I said, just become woven into our lives and really becomes our character. So his commands are not burdensome. So when you hear that word commands, don't think, oh man, I got to do this, that, and other. It's totally different. We want to do it because of everything he's done for us. We want to follow him. And again, his, his commands are for his glory and for our betterment. It's really awesome. And the more you live this life for him, the more you see that and the more you understand that. Number 15, seek first the kingdom of God. Let's read Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Jesus, leading up to number 33, he's saying, look, the birds of the air, they're not working, but God provides for them. He feeds them. They don't store up, but he feeds them. He said, look at the flowers in the fields. God dresses the fields much better than Solomon was even arrayed in all of his robes and, and the fine linens that he had. He's telling us, look, don't worry about these things. Don't worry about what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, and so forth. Because if God would do that for the birds and for the grass, how much more is he going to do it for us? He made us after his own image. So we don't need to worry. We don't have to worry. We just need to seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things that we need, he's going to take care of. So how can you seek God and his will for our lives? How can we seek his kingdom? Well, seek first means not only to turn to God first for help in any situation, but to look to him for guidance in all aspects of our lives, obeying his commands and trying to fill our thoughts with his wisdom. So we just we turn to him always, not just in the bad times. Always we're turning to God and our thoughts are towards him and we're gaining wisdom from him. And so we have to ask ourselves, what are the priorities in my life? Is it people, objects, goals, is it other desires that compete for priorities in our lives? What are those priorities? And some are out or from the outside, such as friends and TV, uh, sports, the opposite sex, temptations, and so forth. And some actually come from within, greed, gossip, anger, desire for power, desire to succeed, and desire to be praised. Any, what I just mentioned there, can quickly replace God's primary place in our lives if we don't actively choose to seek him first in every area of our lives. It's not just one part of our lives, but every area of our lives, because we're not careful. Other things can take priority, and we start losing sight of God, and that's not a place that we need to be. We need to have God front and center of our lives and seek him first. Seek first his kingdom. And we can only do this with the Holy Spirit's help. The Holy Spirit plays a key role in this. Let's read some scripture. The Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So you see, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 25 and 26. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So again, Jesus is telling us, he's telling his disciples there, the Holy Spirit is coming. So when Jesus 
died and rose again and ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit was sent. And he's with us today. He's in believers today. The Gospel of John, chapter 16, verses 7 through 11. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no more. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So Jesus tells us we have the Holy Spirit. And because he has sent his Holy Spirit, we can seek first the kingdom of God and take all these other distractions, anything that would hinder us, we can lay them aside through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to stop there today. We are out of time. We'll pick up on number 16 next week. Thank you so much for joining me this morning because he loves you. He loves you so much. He died for us. He rose again. And all who believe shall not perish but have eternal life. So my question is, do you believe? Just call out to him today. Just ask him to forgive you. Repent of your sins, which means you're going to turn from your ways and turn to him. And just pray to him. Just ask him to save you. Ask him to forgive you. Confess him as your Lord and believe in your heart that he died and rose again. The word of God says we shall be saved. He loves you. He loves us all. We have an awesome, awesome Savior. I pray you have a great rest of the day and a wonderful week coming up. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.